I'm Jessica Denson, host of Lights On with Jessica Denson here on the Midas Touch Network. And I'm joined by Jonathan Carl, chief Washington correspondent for ABC News and author of the new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. Jonathan, such a pleasure to have you on Lights On. Welcome. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I honestly, Jonathan, really just want to continue the conversation we started before we <laughs> press record and get from you your sentiments on where we are and where we are moving into 2024. Well, look, I, I wrote this book. Um, <clears throat> I started writing it thinking I was going to be writing about the kind of sad and lonely demise of a disgraced former president. But something entirely different happened as I was going through the process of writing this. And that is that he, against all odds, uh, once again, became the absolute dominant figure in the Republican Party and the clear front runner for the Republican presidential nomination. And furthermore, uh, facing the real possibility that he could return as the 47th president of the United States. I, uh, don't think it is likely that he is going to win. I still think it is possible. I don't think it is likely that he is going to win the presidency again. I think it's possible he actually still loses the Republican primary, but there's no question that uh, that, that it's a real possibility that you could see a return of, of, of another uh, Trump term. And I think it's something that um, the country is really only becoming beginning to come to terms with. Absolutely. As um, you write about one of the figures you write about towards the end of your book is Liz Cheney, of course, because yeah. your book is about just the lack of courage, this utter lack of courage yeah. in this GOP with a few um, resplendent examples, Liz Cheney among them. Her book's coming out today as well. And she uh, said over the weekend, she thinks we're walking into dictatorship and that she really feels like the cause for this moment is for us not to become numb. And that's definitely um, one of my major themes on Lights On is uh, to to highlight these threats, to not be unaware of this moment that we're living through in history. And I share your sentiments. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I, God knows, don't want it to happen. But it is a possibility and a horrific possibility at that, that we have to constantly be raising the alarms about from now until Election Day 2024. Well, I think there, there are two two big things that, that, that both motivated me as I as I worked on this book. One is <clears throat> clearly memories have faded as to what it was like at the end of the Trump presidency. And of course, there's been a, a aggressive effort to try to rewrite the history, even though it just happened and we just lived through it. And we just saw it. Uh, th th there's been an effort to rewrite what happened uh, at the end of, of Trump's presidency. So that's one, memories fading. And the other is people don't really know what he is right now, what Donald Trump stands for right now. Because for whatever you thought of the 2016 campaign or his four years in the White House, I think that he has actually become in many ways um, more divorced from reality more uh, as a much as an even darker vision than he ever had and if he comes back it's not going to be 2.0 it's not going to be a repeat of of what we saw uh during the first four years it's a much darker vision and i think it is one that is more authoritarian 
Um, it is one where he has learned a little bit more about how power works and he will be determined to surround himself with a white house, with a cabinet, with an administration where the most important criteria, uh, to, to work in that administration or in that white house will be the degree of your loyalty to the man, to Donald Trump. And that is a recipe for what Liz Cheney is talking about. Absolutely. And I'm unfortunately, Jonathan, very familiar with that formula from my brief stint um, that I have come full circle from on the 2016 Trump campaign. Um, You write about figures that I know all too well, among them John McEntee, his utter um, unfitness for government service and yet the breadth of um, almost military orders that he was giving in the winning days. I mean, literally, (laughs) literally Literally. military orders. Yes. Why don't you just tell us that episode? Because it's truly horrific. I mean, McAtee's a fascinating character. He, he, I, I visited the Trump campaign headquarters such as it was in um, the late summer of 2015 when it had about 10 employees and one of them was John McEntee, uh, you know, just a couple years out of college, the, the former quarterback for UConn, uh, who had worked as a very junior assistant at Fox News, quit Fox to come volunteer to work with Trump. And he quickly became the most loyal, the uh, and, 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 and in the end of the Trump presidency, perhaps as important as any other member of that administration uh, for for. He went from being the guy that carries the president's bags to being the guy that was in charge of the presidential personnel office. A very earnest, quite likable guy when you meet him. I mean, he gave me a tour of the of. Hey, John, um, I may have to correct a few of those, but uh, let's continue. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. Um, despised by by many many who came across him, but I'm saying when you first <laughs> meet him, he is earnest. He's got a smile. He's not. Uh, He's not ranting and raving at you. He's, you know, he comes across. He seems reasonable. Seems entirely reasonable. Okay. Um, but he, uh, at, at the end of the of the Trump presidency, was in charge of presidential personnel, and he used that job. That's basically the hiring and firing of all four thousand political appointees in the executive branch. All goes through. It's basically the HR department for the for the for the uh, executive branch, and he used that position to try to get rid of people that were insufficiently loyal to Trump and to bring in people that would do whatever the boss wanted. So the incident that you're referring to is at, after Trump lost in November of 2020, McEntee engineered the firing of the top civilian leadership of the Pentagon, beginning with Mark Esper, the then Secretary of Defense. Esper was a guy, served Trump, served him loyally, but refused to do certain things. He refused to invoke the insur- use the Insurrection Act to send active duty U.S. military personnel onto the, the streets of American cities. <laughs> he thought that was, you know, looked more like a coup or a military dictatorship than, um, you know, uh, than, than, than serving the Constitution. He also refused to use the Department of Defense to help Trump uh, sway the election. So he gets fired. Three other top officials get fired all orchestrated by McEntee. McEntee was the one that, you know, picks uh, the replacements that are that are named by Trump. But when he sends over the new uh, Secretary of Defense, it's a guy named Chris Miller. 
acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, he he sends over a uh, a military advisor, um, a guy named Douglas McGregor, who is best known for appearing on Fox News over and over and over again. Uh, McEntee likes him. Trump watches him. Fox likes him, and he wants to do things that he was unable to. That, that Trump was unable to get done during the first three and three quarters of a year as president. Totally withdrawal, total withdrawal from Afghanistan, total withdrawal of U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, total withdrawal, get this, of all U.S. forces in Germany, where they're the biggest part of the, of the NATO force, standing force in, in, in Germany. So it's McEntee who writes up an executive order to, to, to do this, like this, this would have been the biggest quickest movement of U.S. personnel, you know, since Vietnam, uh, if not uh, the end of World War II. And McEntee has never written an executive order, doesn't know anything about the military. Uh, but this guy, McGregor, the Fox News uh, colonel, um, directs him to do Google searches, tells him to go to the file cabinet, get out, get out an old executive order and copy the format and gets it signed. And the whole story is laid out in detail, all on the record, sworn testimony of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the National Security Advisor, McEntee himself, McGregor, um, the uh, National Security Advisor from Mike, uh, Mike Pence, uh, the, uh, I mean, everybody, th th this created a, a crisis within the Pentagon and the West Wing because McEntee, without telling anybody, had drawn up this order, walked down the hall, had Trump sign it and sent it off to the Pentagon. You know, eventually, uh, once once the kind of grown-ups uh, get a hold of it, they they explain to Trump that this really hasn't gone through any of the vetting, um, and and that he should quietly drop it, and he did. But but this is the kind of stuff McEntee became not just the guy that was firing the the national security officials, but uh, attempting to dictate a massive change in the U.S. military posture around the world. Yeah, it's really- And you know him from just being the guy. I mean, you should I tell- you told, you told an episode, Jonathan, I'll just like hint at that. I don't want to spend too much time on John yeah. McEntee. I think he's worth it other than, you know, warning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you told an episode of how he was uh, hiring all these really attractive 20-something yes. women. Yes. and a bunch of not so attractive men. And it just, you know, uh, my experience with him is that Johnny McEntee thinks of himself as very attractive. And he was kind of um, taken aback by my disinterest in him and <laughs> consequently treated me very condescendingly, almost, yeah. you know, very disgusting belittlement is what I got from John yeah, McEntee yeah, because yeah. I was not attracted to him. So, um, yeah, and just a, just a you know, <laughs> jock, without much, too much up here and an overblown sense of himself is my assessment. Well, um, it was described to me that he hired, because when he took over presidential personnel, that 30 people work in that office. So he basically got rid of all of them and hired this new thing. And most of these people were, were in their 20s, but it was described as as very attractive women and, and, and men who would be no competition to Johnny in pursuing those women. So that, that, that was the guy who effectively became, in the words of one uh, official in that administration, the deputy president of the United States in the final months of the Trump presidency. And your yeah. description is spot on with, with, with what I have heard from countless others. Definitely.
well, I'll be writing about it too. With, like I said, we don't want to give them too much space, but just yeah, as yeah, a fair yeah, yeah. warning to who will be literally running the levers of government in 2025, God forbid we let Donald Trump anywhere near it again. Um, but just to like zoom out, I want to, I want to get a quote. I want to read a quote from your book that kind of just to me sums up everything you're describing about what a second Trump term would look like. And you quote this uh, Bill Barr uh, statement where he said, it's a horror show, you know, when he's left to his own devices. And so you may want his policies, but Trump will not deliver Trump policies. He will deliver chaos. And you say something, Jonathan, that I tell even family members that to this day have left Trump, but still sort of defend some of his quote unquote policies. I'm like, he does not have policies. The man does not have policies. <laughs> and you say, you say, Jonathan, um, uh, outside, um, Barb is actually being generous there. Trump's policies outside those few through lines on immigration and trade are whatever the people around Trump can get him to do by appealing to his ego and his desire to win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let, let's remember, this is a very important fact, that the 2020 Republican platform was nothing. They literally deleted the platform and it was just the uh, Trump agenda. Undefined. That, that, that was So, you know, usually political parties debate for weeks or months in advance of a convention, all the kind of policy positions. There were no policy positions on a single one except support for the president's America first agenda, whatever that is. Um, that was the Trump platform. So there, there are no policies. You know, he did want to build a wall. He did want to have Mexico pay for it. He did like uh, talking about being really tough on trade and throwing, you know, tariffs at, at our at our uh, trading partners. And he likes beating up on our NATO allies without much understanding actually of how NATO works. That was it. Oh, there is one other one. And he was really serious about this, actually, and spent a lot of time on it and talked to a lot of people about it. It was the color scheme for the new Air Force One. He, mm -hmm. he spent a lot of time at some very... Very was strong opinion. I mean, yeah, well, he didn't like the kind of light blue, which was a Jackie Kennedy design, the current mm -hmm. scheme. He thought it looked weak. So yeah, it had it had a stark color. It wasn't that bad actually. It wasn't there wasn't there wasn't gold or anything. I mean, it wasn't like no, uh, okay. so. But uh, but he spent a lot of time, so he didn't have strong opinions about that. But there there are no Trump. Brand, he's a branding guy, right? That's yeah, yeah, exactly exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's very that's very scary though when you think about it in the context of Project 2025, recruitment of loyalists as you described Jonathan, people that their number one qualification is are you a Trump sycophant? And when you have something like the US government that is supposed to be the people's business and public service and their number one allegiance is to a man, um, this is why we are not a monarchy and we are a democratic republic because our allegiance is to principles, to a constitution. This is a very scary concept. And and the crisis that we saw in January of, of 2021, I think was averted from being a much greater crisis because there were people in that White House who did the right thing. And, you know, th th this is, I think, not fully appreciated by by many but there were people who served donald trump um who you know will forever be tainted uh by that service but but who actually uh, did did the country a, a great service by 
by preventing him from doing things that could have been much worse. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from sinking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. Lomi has helped me turn my home into a climate solution. Now I can transfer my organic waste into nutrient-rich loamy earth that I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits in your space perfectly. Cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with an all-natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. All of my food scraps, plant clippings, and even leftovers I may have forgotten in the back of the fridge can go back into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. Heart-healthy energy is so important in order for me to keep my energy up. We could all benefit from heart-healthy energy. One of the best ways to get some? By supporting your blood pressure and circulation. Superbeats Heart Chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure. They're plant-based and stimulant-free, so you can get green boost without the jitters. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. Now, I love taking my Superbeats Heart Chews because they make me feel amazing. And I feel so good knowing that I'm doing something good for myself every day. Now I take my Super Beats Heart Shoes every morning to kickstart my day, and I couldn't think of a better daily routine. Superbeats is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended heart shoe for cardiovascular health support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Superbeats heart shoes also support healthy circulation, so you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive heart-healthy energy without the crash. Double your potential with Superbeats heart shoes. Get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats heart shoes and a free full-size bag of turmeric shoes valued at $25 by going to lightsonbeats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at lightsonbeats.com. Yeah. And the question is, those people, you, and I think your intimation is this will not be allowed in a second Trump term. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the whole the whole point of this Project 25 on the personnel front uh, is, is, to, is to make sure that those people are out. Those are rhinos. Those are we don't want those people. Um, that's going to be that's going to be the aim. As one of uh, McEntee's lieutenants put it, um, loyalty is more important than policy because you can teach people policy, but you can't teach them loyalty. So the first most important thing is: Are you truly loyal to Trump? And again, not to the policies. Are you truly loyal to Trump? Yeah. 
And the thing is about the thing about this, and this is like a concept that I really wrestled with over the Trump years, because I had this weird phenomenon, Jonathan, where I unfortunately, you know, I've discussed a lot about this in other contexts on my show, how blind I was, how naive, how much, you know, I gave a pass to the horrific things and didn't listen to the angel voices in my head. But as far as from a loyalty perspective, like I was tragically pretty loyal to this man. The problem is that you can be loyal, like in the sense of, oh, I'm loyal to my family. I'm loyal to my friends. That doesn't mean you forsake your principles. Like even the people you love most, when push comes to shove, if they do something that's self-destructive or hurting others, you're going to tell them the truth about that. So yeah. this is even a really flawed sense of loyalty because these people ultimately are loyal to their own self-preservation. Donald Trump is the ticket to that. So it's almost, you know, it loyalty, we use this term a lot, but it's a cover for what they're doing for their own selves. And it's ultimately just this raw quest for power that's driving all of these people from the people who would sign up for 2025 to, as you describe so you know brilliantly in your book, The State of the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely the case. And uh, there's actually a description in the book from none other than Tucker Carlson, uh, who, uh, who, I, who I talked to, by the way, this book, um, you know, 90 plus percent of the people I spoke to for this book are Republicans, the vast majority of them people who were supportive, some still supportive of Donald Trump, or worked for Donald Trump. Um, so the, the, you know, this is, this is the people that saw him up close and understand what he's all about. And there's a, there's a, there's a quote in there from Tucker Carlson describing the people around Trump in the most unflattering way as, as social climbers, just trying to get, he said it was disgusting. They're just trying to, you know, get, get their own sense of self-importance. Um, many of these people would never have worked for a, uh, for any other white house would never have any position of any consequence in, in a, uh, in, in, in any other presidential campaign. Uh, so they, th their power, in some cases, their self-worth, uh, comes directly from, you know, what, 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 whatever they can get out of Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. When I read that, I thought, yeah, there's a tidbit of truth from Tucker Carlson. There you and, go. Yeah. <laughs> and reminding me that absolutely nothing has changed since 2016. It's probably gotten 10 times worse, but nothing has changed. That is exactly what I experienced. And it was a poisonous, toxic, really death inducing environment. There's there's nothing good to come of that kind of lack of teamwork and, you know, gen teamwork towards a general positive outcome for everyone's yeah. benefit is yeah. all for number one. But Jonathan, if we can just pivot to the state of the Republican Party, because I, I mean, your book is called Tired of Winning. <laughs> Donald Trump is a loser time and time and time again. And yet this party cannot untether itself from him. Um, you know, we go back to the days after January 6th, when there was this this seeming moment of clarity and then kevin mccarthy kisses the ring ronna mcdaniel begs him to stay in the party um and then fast forward to where we are now when you know still this um republican primary field that steve bannon <laughs> affectionately calls it keebler elves right <laughs> can barely muster barely muster 
criticism of him. And, you know, frankly, I think that should, if, if that is not the subject of every Republican com debate, what the hell are we talking about? Right, right, I mean, This right. is the elephant in the room. Right. It's the GOP. Yeah, yeah we had, uh, the, the, you know, the the, uh, the most recent debate I, I had referred to as the Twilight Zone debate. It was like in this other dimension um, where Donald Trump didn't exist. <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? What are you debating? You know, Tim Scott and... You know, Nikki Haley beating each other up over, uh, you know, the little little details on policy. DeSantis and Nikki Haley fighting over who was more welcoming to Chinese business in their state. I mean, it's all. I mean, come on. What 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 are what are we talking about? Um, but uh, I, I think that the calculation that was made over and over again by Republican leaders, especially McCarthy and Ronna McDaniel was that that Trump was going to fade away ultimately, but they needed him to be supportive of the party and the party's candidates because he has such a fervent base of support. It may be a minority of the Republican Party, but I'm talking about the shoot him on Fifth Avenue crowd, the, the crowd that'll be with Trump even if he shoots somebody on Fifth Avenue. That's not, I don't think, the majority of the Republican electorate but it's certainly the energy of the Republican electorate. Look at how, you know, he can go and- It's a loud it, minority, right? It's a very loud minority. And I've seen it time and time again, you have politicians who go to a Trump rally. And these are people who have a hard time attracting a crowd themselves for anything. And suddenly these fervent people all riled up. And the more you say, you know, the more pro-Trump your, uh, your, your talk is, the more, you know, intense the reaction. It feels amazing. So they know that he's got this fervent support. And he knows that one thing Trump did, he has lost over and over and over again since 2016. But one thing, he has brought out more Republican voters. So... He is right when he says in 2020, he far exceeded the number of, uh, of, of votes that he was told he would need to win. He was told as long as you get like, I forget, like 67, 68,000, a million votes, you're going to be in a good shape. And he gets, you know, some 74,000, 74 million. I'm sorry. Um, and, and, and he does this by boosting turnout in deep red parts of the country. I mean, these people come out and they vote and they vote in numbers. And McDaniel and Kevin McCarthy made the calculation that we need that. Now, they also kind of hoped he would fade away, just, just do enough to bring those people out, but not be so prominent that he would alienate all those voters in the suburbs, especially women, uh, that, that Trump has done such a wonderful job of, of alienating. But they were afraid uh, of, you know, if he left, if he left the party, or even if he just sat at home, uh, that, that it would hurt their ability to get the kind of turnout they needed in the subsequent elections. Now, the subsequent elections have happened and Republicans have underperformed every single election since 2016. But, you know, at this point, uh, I think there's another calculation, which is too late to do anything about it. Well, as you're talking, I'm kind of doing the logic in my head. Okay, first of all, that's no excuse. You gave them like a political reason, yes. not an excuse, right? Right. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to give their 
their political reason. I'm not, I'm not defending this in any way, yeah. but this is their cowardice is, logic. We got yes. it. Okay. Yeah. Check. But I'm going through this and I'm thinking, okay, they're trying to, they're trying to appeal to who you talk, talk does describe as the fifth Avenue crowd, the ultra mega, right? Yep. Okay. And then I'm thinking about what really drives the ultra mega. A lot of it is this, this retribution, which is kind of how you open your book. You describe yep. it's like come retribution speech that harkens back to the Confederate and the Civil War and how how they're they're trying to, Donald Trump does this all the time and it's one of my sticking points and it's one of the things I try to tell people, Donald, the government that is going after Donald Trump for his crimes is not after you folks. You didn't commit those crimes. It's after Donald Trump. He's using you as a cover. Don't do it. Don't take his flack. But the funny thing and not so funny is that the Kevin McCarthy's, the whole GOP, you look at the House Judiciary Committee, the House Committee on the Weaponization of Government, they have they have taken this narrative fully as their own, this lie that, um, you know, the government is being weaponized against Donald Trump's supporters or that be Donald Trump being targeted means his supporters is, are being yeah. targeted, which is a yeah. totally false narrative. So they've they have owned this when they could be constantly correcting the narrative. Mike Johnson had the audacity to say last week that they are the party of uh, the rule of law party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Really, Mr. Insurrectionist? I mean, it, it's it is an amazing sleight of hand. He says they are coming after me because their real target, this is Trump. Trump says they are coming after me because their real target is you and I am standing in the way. I mean, the people out there cheering him on did not pilfer classified documents and uh, from the White House and obstruct justice uh, when the government came to get them back. The people uh, out there cheering him on did not pay you know, $130,000 to silence a porn star with which they had an affair. Uh, the people out there didn't illegally use the power of the presidency to try to overturn a legitimate election. So no, they, these are, the, the, the federal government is, is and in the case of Georgia, in the case of, of, of New York, uh, these entities are pursuing an individual uh, where there is evidence that individual has broken the law <laughs> and and it is not a law that those people i mean look there have been people of course breaking laws by the way that would possibly endanger his very own supporters yes yes in fact <laughs> yeah. so i mean it's um but the retribution line is the it is the campaign theme and it has resonated he's managed to portray himself as a victim um and he's managed to um you know, the Waco, I mean, this is why that, that, that first chapter, which I think is, uh, you know, very critical in understanding what Trump 2024 is all about. He holds the first rally in Waco and Waco, Texas, of course, is where the Branch Davidians uh, had their showdown with federal law enforcement way back in 1993. Um, and it was, and, and when the, when federal agents moved in on the compound to try to enforce, um, essentially gun laws, they, they, they thought that the, uh, Branch Davidians were stockpiling weapons and explosives. Uh, you know, there was, there was a mass, uh, inferno, 81, 80 plus people died. It was a disaster. And 
a lot of people in the country actually covered this as a very young reporter for the New York Post. Uh, uh, you know, they, a lot of people saw that as a sign that the federal government had gotten out of control and was coming after ordinary people. The Branch Davidians, they were a cult, sure, but these were just people minding their own business and they came in and now they're all dead. I mean, whatever you think of the substance of that case, there was an argument to be made, a legitimate argument that that federal law enforcement activity was a disastrous failure. I mean, after all, more than any people died. So Trump goes to Waco to kind of bring up those memories of, of that of that incident. And, and that Waco the disaster from 1993 had inspired the militia movement, which ultimately brings us to today where you've got the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters and the, and the Proud Boys. But it's all about this notion that there's an out of control federal government that is out to get ordinary people. And my point is, Look, there were a lot of crazy conspiracy, nutty things going on with that militia movement back in the 1990s after Waco, but but they had there was a kernel of something that they were that they were latching on to, and in this case, it's just like Trump. I mean, it's it's a it's a bizarre it's a it's a it's a bizarre thing. Steve Bannon said to me when I asked him, "Why are you at Waco? Why is he holding his first campaign rally at Waco? For God's sake!" And he said, we're the Trump Davidians. <laughs> I mean, they're they're directly evoking this notion of this out of control federal government out to get ordinary people when the only real evidence out there is that you have law enforcement trying to enforce the laws vis-a-vis -vis Donald Trump. Yeah. Steve Bannon, another character that I unfortunately know all too well. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, as, as I was reading that whole description, Jonathan, you know, I was really thinking they're, they're exploiting real grievances to create fake ones. And that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's really at the heart of Donald Trump's strategy. And, you know, Steve Bannon, Bannon arguably, as, as one of his master strategists, is just ex exploitation of grievances. Yeah. Um, and it's really sad because these a lot of people out there I know a lot of people are struggling a lot of people have an you know a need to do better in their lives a need to belong a need to have um, grievances rectified and this man offers them no hope he's just exploiting them he's just and, and, and a lot of those people feel I think rightly so that they have been failed by our political system and they've been failed by Democrats and they've been failed by Republicans and Trump comes in and angers all the right people angers the people that they look at and they see you people have failed us. And I think that's a big part of the appeal. Now, the unfortunate thing is he doesn't actually offer a solution for those problems. And by kind of destroying the remnants of what was the Republican party has made it harder to, you know, to have a, uh, solutions that can actually be made coming out of what should be the proper way, which is a, a real competition and real elections, uh, over real issues. Instead, we have an issue over retribution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jonathan, before I let you go, yep. since I have you here and you're the chief Washington correspondent for ABC news, um, and I um, have been generating some fairly newsworthy content over the past six years as it pertains to Donald Trump. I had to ask you, um, are you familiar with my case at all? I, I, I know a bit about it, but I'd like to know more. Okay. Well, 
since I don't want to make this interview all about me, I will no. encourage you to look it up. But um, we have defeated hundreds of Trump NDAs. This is a preeminent tactic that Donald Trump used for decades to yeah. silence his his critics and opponents. And um, Jonathan, I, I don't want to single out you and ABC News, but um, this this case has been woefully undercovered, uh, to say yeah. the least. And um, I know I'm not going to be the first woman in history, nor the last, to be um, somewhat shadowed in her attempts to fight in my case for democracy, but it's a very important story. The more I share it with our viewers here on Lights On, the more they tell me why has this case not been covered by the media? Well, I, um, I, I, I appreciate that. And because and, and, I, you know, in, in Front Row at the Trump Show, my first book, I, I one of the things that I uh, tried to get to the bottom of were, were the NDAs that he was forcing people to sign for government jobs, which is completely illegal, as as you know better than anybody, um, but but the notion that you know as as to become an employee of the United States government to be paid by U.S. taxpayers, that you would sign an, a personal NDA to Donald Trump, it, you know, but 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 this gets to a fundamental truth about him, which is he thinks that those public servants are not public servants. They are Trump servants. Yes. So he thinks that government lawyers, whether it be the White House Counsel's Office or the uh, Department of Justice, that those are not government lawyers. They're Trump lawyers. I want my Roy Cohn. He doesn't understand that every one of them, and not just the lawyers, but they're the most obvious, you know, yes. swear an oath to the Constitution, not to a man. So I applaud your, the work you've done, and 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 we'll we'll definitely we should have you on to talk about it. I agree. Well, thank <laughs> you. I would I would absolutely love to. It's my pleasure to share this fight. Um, uh, just really, Jonathan, to me, it's so important because people number one need to understand the gaslighting that Donald Trump has engaged in when it comes to free speech, and how he has been the biggest enemy of free speech his country has ever seen. Number one, and number two, they need to see what's possible when you stand up against him. And you know, your your title, your book, "Tired of Winning," is something that I know very well because I've never been tired of beating Donald Trump in court. I'm not tired of winning, and I've been winning for the past six years, starting with when I was literally representing myself against his yeah. campaign. Yeah. So, um, people need to know these stories to to understand what is possible, to understand just what a loser Donald Trump is, and um, how we all have those tools to defeat him. All right. Well, Jessica, we'll keep up the good work and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Everybody, please check out Jonathan's book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care.